Have you ever thought about investing in multifamily units? I mean, 50 units or more. Or maybe you thought about investing in real estate, but you don't have a big chunk of cash to buy a big multifamily unit. Well, check out this entire episode because we're going to show you how you can passively invest in multifamily or a portion thereof and get huge returns on your money. Hey, Abbas, how are you doing, my friend? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you being here. I'm really excited to talk about building passive income and multifamily properties and all the stuff that you do. So without me spoiling this, um, tell me, what do you guys do and, and how do you do it? Yeah. So we help people passively invest in multifamily. And the reason people invest in multifamily or real estate in general is because they want appreciation. Obviously, if you look at historically, real estate has gone up in value. Obviously, it's had its ups and downs, but over a long enough time horizon, it's it's consistently has gone up in, in value. So people want appreciation. They want cash flow, right? When you invest in the stock market, you're not getting cash flow. I mean, you might have some dividends, but it's like 0.001%. Um, so there's cash flow, which normally in multifamily is about five to six percent. And then you have the tax deductions, right? As real estate investors, we get huge write-offs. In fact, I was in 2021, I was able to get close to eight hundred thousand dollars in write-offs, which got me a two hundred and fifty-eight thousand dollar refund. And so a lot of real estate investors like real estate because you get that. Uh, that those tax deductions as well. So we help people passively invest in multifamily. If you're making, you know, great income, you've got a job, you've got a business or whatever it is, or maybe you've just got a lot of money sitting in 401ks and retirement accounts in the stock market. We could convert that without you paying a penalty to real estate investing. It's completely passive. We find the deal, we manage the deal, we send you the checks and you just kind of benefit from that. I think people forget about the depreciation, the tax advantages uh, when it comes to real estate. So great point, my friend. That's uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's interesting. I'll tell you this. Um, I think the tax deductions are probably my favorite part of real estate. I mean, you know, because I could get returns somewhere else. I could get cash flow somewhere else, but I, it's very hard to find deductions like the ones we have in real estate and legal too. Yeah. Even Robert Kiyosaki talks about leveraging, right? And they talk he, when he talks about leveraging your, your money, borrowing money to make more money, which is a different topic that we could talk about uh, at another time. But uh, he, he mentions some things that a lot of people don't dive into. And I think one of those is the, is the depreciation or the tax deduction. Let's say I've, I've got some cash and I want to invest passively with your company. What does that look like to me? Is there a minimum and, and how does that play out? Yeah. So, you know, first we have to see if there's any deals available, right? Uh, it's very difficult to find deals because we're very specific about what type of deals we want. So like, just to kind of give you, you know, some, some information, my deal criteria is I want to be in a market that has um, big population growth. So those are markets like Texas, markets like Florida, markets like Tennessee, where people are actually moving to. Um, so I want to see population growth. I want to see job growth. I want to see rent growth because the value of multifamily deals is based on the income. So I want to see rent growth. So that way the values go up. And then I want to see a landlord friendly state. So that's, you know, Texas, Florida, again, these markets that are getting a lot of people. I stay out of California. I stay out of uh, Oregon. I stay out of Washington because it's just not landlord friendly. So once it matches all those criteria, my next set of criteria 
is I want the neighborhood income to be $40,000 a year or higher. Why is that important? Because I want people to be able to afford the new rent when we increase it. Um, I want I want it to be close to shopping, close to schools, close to jobs. I don't want to be in the path of growth because that path of growth may never actually materialize and you might be stuck in a bad neighborhood. So I like to invest in well-established neighborhoods with high income, low crime, all these things. So when you look at all of this stuff, and then we add the property criteria, which is I want to be in B-class assets in B-class neighborhoods that have value add potential, which basically means I can go in improve the asset, increase its income, reduce its expenses. So that way, again, the value of the property goes up. Once you factor all this in, it becomes extremely hard to find a deal. And so like last year in 2022, I stayed out of the market for six, seven months because nothing was making sense to me. And uh, I literally looked at 400 deals. And then we ended up buying one property it was uh, $12.8 million. And so it takes a lot of time to find a deal. But once we find a deal, how do you invest? Well, it's kind of a process. Um, the first thing that we do is we let our investors know, hey, we've got a deal on your contract. This is kind of what's happening. We do the due diligence. We, you know, check everything in person and do all that stuff. We go through the financials, the rent roll to see the tenants. Afterwards, we hold a webinar. And then, then on that webinar, we just kind of discuss what are we buying? Why are we buying it? Why this property specifically? What's the potential upside in this deal? And then afterwards, people have the ability to invest. Usually the minimum is about 50000 and then they get a piece of ownership based on how much they invest. So if somebody decides, I have, I've had people put in 50, I've had people put in 200, I've had people put in over a million dollars, right? So it's kind of all over the spectrum. Um, so people invest. And then after closing right now, what I'm focusing on is I want our investors to receive monthly, uh, monthly cash flow. So every month they get cash flow and then monthly reporting. So every month you get a, an email with all the financials to understand what's happening with that specific property. If you're buying a $12 million property and, and one person puts in 50,000, another one puts in a hundred thousand, obviously, or I shouldn't say, obviously I'm going to ask, they're getting a percentage of ownership depending on their investment. Correct. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. And then does the same thing happen when you decide to sell the property, they get a percentage of the profits? Yeah. So it's all prorated based on based on their investment amount. Yeah, totally makes sense. So let me ask you, let, let me segue into selling the property. And then I'm going to come back to uh, as you acquire properties. What is your normal hold period? Um, I'm sure it's predicated by the market, but what is an average hold period on a multifamily before you decide to sell it off and move that asset somewhere else? Yeah, so it's our focus is as I look at deals, I want it to be three to five years, meaning I want to go in, bring in the, a business plan where it's like, hey, I'm going to improve the asset by doing this and this and that. And then three years later, we sell, get you your money back, plus the profits and all that sort of stuff. Um, but just to be on the safe side, in case we need to hold it longer, I always underwrite deals, which by the way, underwrite means evaluate deals, analyze deals. I analyze deals based on a five-year holding period. Perfect. And that usually runs into around the time when it's almost ready. You're halfway to where you need to remodel again or need to invest more money into it. Exactly. And then the next person comes in, they bring in a lot of capital into the deal. They renovate it. They increase rents again. They add more amenities. They reduce expenses maybe. And then they sell it to the next guy. And so it's just rinse and repeat. You just keep doing that. I take your, so you give me 50,000, let's say I, I put it into a deal. Let's say three years later, I get you a hundred thousand. Now I find you another deal that I take that hundred. I put it in again. I get you back 200. Then you decide to come in again. It turns into 400. And so it's just rinse and repeat. 
it's an awesome way to uh, to passively invest because basically as an investor, you're putting money instead of in a money market account at you know a couple percent, maybe five percent, and you're you're having your money work for you. I think the program is awesome. Yeah, and and here's the interesting fact about this is that. Again, I'm not a CPA, check with your CPA, but a lot of the stuff you pay little taxes on. I mean, very, very little taxes on because like all the profits you make, your taxable percentage is very small because of the fact that you have depreciation from real estate. Absolutely. Yeah, great, great point again. So let me ask you this. You just mentioned that you looked at over 400 properties to put a deal together, which to me is very smart. Um, because you're underwriting it with a certain, um, uh, you have a certain percentage that you, you need to make off the property. Yeah. So when you're purchasing uh, a property, a multifamily uh, property, do you have minimums? Like it has to be a minimum uh, fourplex or minimum 20 units or 30 doors or 70 doors? Or is it yeah, all? Our, our minimum is 50 units or higher. And the reason that is, is because when you get into larger than 50 units, it becomes easier to manage because you can have on-site staff. You can have people that literally work there full-time and that's that's all they do. When, you, when you're under 50 units, it's very difficult to do that because they've, you know, you've got to have part-time employees. Part-time employees, in my opinion, never perform as well as full-time employees at a property. So I always like minimum 50 uh, or higher. I think that's a excellent plan. And for all the reasons in which you said, um, let me ask you this question. What is normal when you find a property? Are you looking for more of properties that, that need a bunch of renovations? Are you looking for stuff that you've got renters in for a while and you can renovate from unit to unit to increase rents? What, what is the thought pattern behind that? Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of a mixture. I'll give you an example on the last deal we just closed on in December. It was uh, 1980, uh, 1984 year built, I believe, or 1982, I'm sorry. Uh, so 1982 property, townhouse community, 80 townhouses, really good part of Dallas. And, uh, and the story with the deal is this, this guy um, who owns a construction company bought it uh, about five years ago, six years ago, and he put one of his construction employees to manage it for him. Because, I mean, obviously he's not like, it's not his full-time thing. He's just doing it to park his money somewhere. So he put a, one of his employees on there and their average rents at the property were between 800 to $1,000. Some units were at 1,300, but the average was about 800 to 1,000. I looked at the deal and it was an off-market property. I looked at the deal. I'm like, I know the comps in that area were over 1,500. So I, I immediately go in person, I check out the comps. I pretend to be a tenant just to see what the rents are at. And everybody's like over $1,500, $1,600. And here's the thing about it. Uh, not, not only is there a gap in where he's at versus where he should be, but most of the property is still outdated. He's got classic units that he's never updated. So in this type of deal, there's two types of upside potential. One is you could renovate the units and push income higher that way. Another thing you could do as well at the same time is you could simply just take the current rents and take them up to market level. So literally while we were under contract, we took the property from uh, whatever he was charging to any renewal and any new tenant to come in at $1,500. We projected a 1550 um, uh, market rate rent. Now we've owned it for about three months as of right now. We've already achieved over 1650. So again, average rents were eight nine hundred thousand dollars. Now they're over 1650 
uh, on the latest leases that we've been charging. And so that's how you add value because the value of the deal is based on the income. And so if I can double the income, I can get way more value out of the property. And, and that comes back to your research in finding an area that's stable, but yet growing with yep. jobs and uh, rent rates. And so. it's, and it's like, it's like, it's like finding a needle in the, hay, in, the in the haystack, right? It's extremely <laughs> hard. It's extremely hard. Like if you, if people, people that are on my social media channels, they see how much I travel to go find these deals. And I go everywhere all the time. I underwrite deals all the time. And so it, it's extremely difficult, but when you find the right deal, it's very rewarding for all the investors and, and obviously for us as well. Yeah. And it, and it's beneficial for the tenants as well, because they're going to yeah. get a professional company that's going to manage the property and as upgrades are needed, they're going to get done. And, you know, the tenant may have to pay more because they're getting a nicer unit, but it, it's a, it's an awesome, awesome plan that, that you guys have. So not only are you helping tenants, you're actually helping the area by upgrading the properties themselves. And, and I used to be a tenant before, like be, back when I first started, I mean, I grew up in a very low uh, income household. I remember I'm from Iraq. I used, we used to sleep on concrete because we didn't even have beds to buy. When I came to the U.S., I lived in apartments for many, many years, low income apartments. And so I, I get both aspects of it. I get the aspect of hey, being in a, in a low income apartment and seeing how those were operated versus the deals we're buying and how we're operating for the tenants. I wish... I wish we had landlords as good as we are being to our tenants. It's like we're renovating the property. We make sure the work orders are, are met very quickly. We make sure that the whole, you know, living experience is improved. And so that's why people decide to stay. That's why we get referrals. Uh, like one of our properties, we just this month, we had nine leases expire. Out of the nine leases, eight leases decided to renew, right? That's a very high retention rate. And I want to keep it that way at all of our properties. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and what you just said is so true. If someone's living in an apartment, and it doesn't matter if it's an apartment or, or a single family dwelling, that's their sanctuary. That's where you go home to, to live life. You know, we work during the day, but we come home and we live and we have our family. And if you're going home to something that's not comfortable, or it's not, you're just not excited about being home, it's just psychologically, it's just a drag. It's draining. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a total drag. Um, man, I love your story and I truly love what you're doing. Um, sincerely love what, what you're doing. Let me ask you this question. I only got a couple more questions. So let me ask you this. Let's say an investor invests with you and they're on, say, a five-year plan in their mind and something happens where they need to pull their money out. What is an exit strategy for somebody that, that needs the money? Yeah, so I would say that's the only downside with with multifamily syndications is that you don't get the ability to exit whenever you want because remember we're buying this deal um, and we're pulling everybody's money together, so everybody has to exit at the same time. So if it's a three year hold, you have to wait three years. If it's a five year hold, you might have to wait five years. Right? It doesn't mean that we can't get out sooner if we had the numbers that we want, but usually you're going to have to hold on when everybody else exits. Now. In those type of situations, there would be two potential remedies, right? One remedy is where the sponsor, which is us, we would potentially buy, buy your share. Um, and so that way you could just get your money and, and then invest in the next one, hopefully. Um, that's one remedy. Another remedy is to go back to the other investors and say, hey, guys, look, we've got one of the members. He wants to go out of the deal for personal reasons. 
is anybody interested in buying his share? And so obviously you might have to sell it at a, at a slight discount or, or whatever, right? Who knows? Uh, but but that's, that's another way to exit out the deal sooner. However, I always tell all our investors, like if you're going in the deal, just expect that you won't be able to back out of the deal until we all move out of it at the same time. Yeah, and, and if someone's going to treat it like a retirement account, they can't just go to the retirement account and pull out. Um, I was just that that question came about in case of an emergency. Yeah. And it sounds like you have a great exit strategy because somebody will most likely step up and go, hey, we'll, we'll take over those shares or that portion of it. Um, but I think especially if the property is performing well, you know what I mean? Then yeah. it's like everybody will be all over it. <laughs> Yeah, for absolutely 110%. If I'm an investor in a multifamily unit with you and it's performing and, and you come to me and say, hey, we need some more funds to cover this guy that has to get out for whatever reason it is. <clears throat> heck yeah, I'm putting more money into that all day. Right. Listen to boss, I appreciate you being on our uh, podcast and this will be on YouTube as well. Um, so because you're such a wealth of knowledge, uh, how do people get a hold of you and what can you offer for people besides just investing? Yeah. So, you know, I firmly believe in education and that's anytime I want to learn something, I go see other people that are, that are successful at it. I learn from them and then I apply. And so I do the same thing for our investors and people that want to do it either actively or passively. So we do a lot of free education and so what we do is we do weekly webinars. I do uh, virtual summits. I'm doing an in-person summit in, in a couple of months as well. And it's all, all of this stuff is free. Um, now to be a part of that and to get notified of the, of the education and also any future deals that we have that you might be able to invest in, you have to create a free investor account on our website. It's super simple. It takes like 30 seconds. After you create a free investor account, you could also book a call with me for free for like 15 minutes. So if you're interested in that, just go to my website, modelequity.com. Again, that's modelequity.com. And then on the top right corner, you'll see create investor account, hit that button, you know, fill out your name, email, phone number, and then you could book a call with me. And then anytime we have an, an you know, investment opportunity, you will get notified. And then anytime we're doing a webinar or free education, you'll get emailed about that as well. Awesome. So you guys heard him. Go to his website, sign up for this. I would highly advise if you're just slightly interested in this, at least get the education. And once you have the education, I would absolutely talk to this company about investing, invest passively, and let your money make you money. Brother, I appreciate you being on the podcast. I appreciate you being on my YouTube channel. And let's do this again. Let's stay in touch and let's help people build multi-generational wealth. I appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you so much.